What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 104 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, it is one of my favorite times of year. Not only is uh, you can hear the crack of the baseball bat, spring training's in full swing, but it's March Madness, where all over the country, the little guy gets a chance to knock off the big guy in the NCAA tournament. Of course, my wife's West Virginia team will be in it. Georgia Tech's in it this year. Liberty's in it. And just there's so many great games to watch. It'll be a blast staying up late and catching some of these great, great games. Well, one of the gentlemen that is one of the voices that you know the best calling games for ESPN is Coach Jimmy Dykes. Coach Dykes first joined ESPN at the start of the 95-96 men's college basketball season and has served as a game and studio analyst, as well as being the head girls basketball coach, ladies basketball coach at the University of Arkansas from 2014 to 2017. He was a three-year letterman at Arkansas, playing for the legendary, legendary Eddie Sutton, and he has had a great college coaching career, as well as serving as an NBA scout for the Seattle Sonics prior to joining ESPN in the mid-90s. But way more than his prowess, knowing the game of basketball, calling the game of basketball, is his faith. His latest book, The Film Doesn't Lie, is phenomenal. Coach Dykes travels across the country as a motivational speaker and working with companies and organizations and sports pro teams. But more than that, today, you're going to hear his heart behind why he is who he is. You are going to love Coach Dykes. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know your background if you're in coaching or you're in business. But I know this. You are going to be blessed by this conversation. So I want you to pull up a chair. I want you to listen in to my time with Coach Jimmy Dykes. Well, Coach Dykes, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Man, Mac, I, I really appreciate it. You, you do great stuff with your, your ministry, your podcast, and I've, I've been on with a lot of folks across the country, and I'm excited to sit down and visit with you for a while as I am anybody out there, because I know you have a love for Jesus, you have a love for for ball. And I, those two things are very important to me. Hey, listen, that that'll get us on the same page quick, right there. Get a little Jesus, a little ball of any kind, and we could, we can find something to talk about. I can guarantee that. Take me back, take me back to coach Jimmy Dykes growing up. What was life like for you growing up as a child? Yeah, it was, it was all about uh, sports. You know, I was fortunate I had a dad that was very, very involved and engaged with our family, with, with, with me as a son. And he coached well, whatever season it was. He was my football coach, my basketball coach, my baseball coach. And 
ran track. Uh, and that started in elementary. And back then, you know, he was able to coach us pretty much all the way through almost the, the, the junior high days. And sports was a big part of my life. I was so, so blessed, so, so fortunate to be raised in a family that, uh, that going to church uh, was, uh, it was a big, big part of our life. And I had a, a very blessed uh, childhood. And my dad taught me how to work. He worked probably for 30 years for uh, Southwestern Bell Telephone Company before he retired and started his own real estate company. I saw him work hard every single day and then come home at 5.30 and quickly change clothes and put on his coaching gear and out the door we'd go and he's coaching my team. So uh, I, I, that's, that was kind of how my life looked. We, we moved around the country because he got transferred around a lot. So I had the experience of being born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, moved to St. Louis, Missouri, to Topeka, Kansas, to Estes Park, Colorado, before we settled in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is has been our home ever since for the most part, except when I was college coaching. So uh, I, I, I've been very fortunate. Not everyone has that type of story like mine, but I've had a mom and dad that uh, they just celebrated their 67th wedding anniversary oh, in, in July. They're, they're, they're still with, with us, and, and uh, my dad's battling cancer, but he's, he's, he's battling. My dad, he, he sums that word up really well. Mm. What did they do well as parents that prepared you, you know, cause I think sometimes in life, you know, when we're growing up, we're just, we're just living life and doing, doing, but now we look back in the rearview mirror and we go, man, my parents did this really well to help mold me into who I am today. What were some things they did well that prepared you for being a great parent one day? Well, I, it, I, it's to be determined if I'm a great parent, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'm tracking that right now. Our daughter just turned, uh, 15 she's in the uh, currently in her ninth grade year uh I, I think number one is they they taught me how to work mm. and that's not just from my dad but uh, my mom ran a like a, a dairy queen type restaurant for many years so i remember when i was in the third fourth fifth grade in the summers um before baseball practice was taking place in the evenings i was working at that restaurant in the third fourth fifth grade and i was I, I was t- taking orders. I was helping cook food. Like I, I, it was a job and, and it wasn't every day, but I know I was down there a lot and I was in charge of picking up the trash on the parking lot and, and all those kind of things. So I, I know they instilled in me the value of work and how to work. Um, I, I know from that experience, I learned how, how people are in life because I remember in the, fourth or fifth grade someone got tomatoes on their hamburger and they ordered with no tomatoes and they took the hamburger and threw it at me hit me in the head it was in the fifth grade <laughs> wait, wait, what what is this what is it, what are we doing here you know so i learned how people how people are you know people aren't perfect and how to respond to those situations so and i think the other thing they did really well was uh they taught me the value of jesus in my life mm-hmm. and going to church i got accepted Jesus when I was 11 years old at a small church in Topeka, Kansas, a small Baptist church, got baptized the following Sunday. The, our church was so small, we didn't even have a baptistry. We had to go borrow one. Uh, but they, they taught me a, a, a lot of things. And uh, I think the, the, the final thing they taught me was the value of a family. My, my, my parents always, we, we weren't by any means rich above and beyond growing up, but we always found a way to spend time together every summer on a vacation. Uh, we were very, everything we did was based around our family. So 
I, I carry those values with me today and, and with a grip that I hope I never let go. I love that. I love, you know, and you, and you don't know those seeds they plant until you, until you start living it out and you're like, man, they planted that in me, that value of Jesus and that value of work and, and that value of family. And you don't recognize it. You just don't recognize it while you're doing it. But on the other side of it, you begin to see the fruits of it. It's a crazy thing. Yeah, it is. And I um, you know, hopefully that's, that's how we're raising our daughter right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you push back and you get some pushback and some, and some resistance at times. Uh, and aren't we all like that? That's right. Aren't we all like that still? You at my age and your age, we, we have a little hesitancy or a little resistance when, but when, when change is brought into our life or when we know God is telling us, I need you to do this, I'm calling you to this. And we have some resistance, but well, when you get past it and you get through it and you look back and you say, okay, now, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. I'm, uh, I'm very thankful that I had a mom and a dad that were completely invested in me as a kid. Mm. And that's, that's unfortunately probably not the norm these days. No. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's 51% or 49% anymore that families are built like that. I just know that the, the, the value of it to have a parent that's invested in kids, man, it, it's, it's invaluable. It is absolutely invaluable. That's so good. You know, so you grow up playing in your probably like me, we, we grew up playing all the sports, but at some point basketball began to elevate for you. When did you, when did that love of basketball really grab you where you go, you know what, I think I can go on and play this at the next level. Yeah, it was my, uh, between my sophomore and junior year in high school, because I played football all the way up through then. Uh, we had just moved to Fayetteville, Arkansas. And at the time, the Arkansas Razorbacks were located at Fayetteville High School was literally two blocks away from wow. Arkansas. And Arkansas was just coming off of the final four appearance under Eddie Sutton at the time. And it was, uh, being a Razorback basketball player was, you're a rock star in the state back then. And those Razorbacks would come over to Fayetteville High School uh, in the summer and play pickup games with us. I got to the point where I was kind of holding my own with, you know, and, and got to the point where I thought, man, I can, I can, I can play college basketball, you know. And so I was fortunate to uh, be able to play for the Razorbacks for uh, three years and kind of got me into the coaching mo- mo- movement is what I wanted to do. So um, that's, that's kind of when it hit. I, I fell in love with the sport. Um, I was probably a better track athlete in high school than I was basketball, but basketball just kind of had my heart and I was really uh, intentional about pursuing college coaching, uh, even as a high school senior. So that's why I chose to go to Arkansas and be under a, a, a hall of fame coach and Eddie Sutton and kind of get me started in the coaching world after my playing days were over. So you knew even then, even leaving high school, you knew what you wanted your career route to be. Yeah, I, had, I had never one time in high school did I think about being an analyst for ESPN on TV. Not not one time. <laughs> I was I was I was dead set on coaching, and so I coached at the college level as an assistant. Uh, after I played at Arkansas as a graduate assistant, and I bounced around the country from Sacramento State to Appalachian State, University of Kentucky, Oklahoma State University, and then how God sometimes crosses our path at the at His perfect time. Uh, I left Oklahoma State as an assistant and and started scouting in the NBA. And I was scouting for the Seattle Sonics. Seattle had a franchise at the time. And at one of those games, I got seated next to a guy that worked for 
ESPN, a, a producer for ESPN. And we just kind of had a conversation and he threw out the idea of me ever considering getting into TV. And I said, no. And then next year I was doing games. So wow, that, that's not at all how that path normally works, especially these days. It's so hard to get into yeah. this business, uh, but God had me at the right place at the right time, knowing that the, the platform that he wanted me to be on someday. You know, as a, as a leader, everywhere you go, we've got our, we've got our bag of, of life skills that we pick up. What were some things you learned? I mean, Eddie, Eddie Sutton is, is a hall of famer. I mean, he is a legendary coach. What were some things you got for him that helped you both as a coach and as a person, what would you say you picked up from him while you were there? You know, on our, on our practice gear, um, every year, even, even as an assistant with him at Kentucky on our practice gear, we had three words, dedication, discipline, and defense. Mm -hmm. And man, we, we, we didn't just, that, those weren't just words to us. Like that was at our core of who we were or who we were supposed to be as an individual player and as a team. And we spent a lot of time talking about those three words. So that word dedication is ingrained deep, deep inside of my core of who I am. And, and that, that plays out in, in continue to be dedicated as a dad, as a husband. Uh, when I work, I work. Like when I go on the road to do a game, I go on the road to work and do a game. I don't yeah. go on the road to, to, to work, do a game and hang out in a bar afterwards and stay up late watching stuff on TV. I shouldn't be watching. Uh, I, I go to work and I, and, and I understand that the, the, the dedication that goes behind that, I think the word discipline also Mike has really impacted my life uh, in, in, in a lot of different ways, how discipline can impact an individual. I see it play out still today. I think the word defense, you know, although at the time for basketball, for us with Coach Sutton, it meant defending our end of the floor and taking personal pride and and guarding your guy and not letting, you know, not not letting him be the one that scores and all those things. But you know, there's a lot of talk about defense that went on in college that I think somehow worked its way into my heart, where I kind of use that still today. That I, I have to. I think we all need to live at times a life that has a little bit of a defensive mindset. Mm -hmm. Like I'm protecting something with a defensive mindset. I'm protecting my walk with God. I'm protecting my marriage. I'm protecting my relationship with my kid. I'm all those things. So we call them the three D's and dedication, discipline, and defense are probably the three words or the three things that I take from a big picture standpoint that I learned from him. You know, playing for a great Hall of Famer, you've coached at every level, been a head coach, been an assistant coach. You are around phenomenal coaches all throughout. And we're going to talk about your book here in a second. You are you're having one on one conversations with some of the some of the best to ever coach the game of basketball. What makes a great coach, not a good coach? What are the attributes of a coach that leaves an impact far beyond the lessons they taught on the court? And or on the field, what what are those attributes of those great coaches? You know, I, I think a good coach can see the problem, and a great coach can fix the problem. Mm, that's good. And I think that I, I I see that all the time. I because most coaches out there, especially at the college level and and even at the high school level, they're they're good enough to see what's wrong. Like they can see the problem with their team, but the great ones can fix the problem. Mm. I think that's true in your profession, my profession, whatever. Like most people can understand this isn't going right. 
but but the great ones can fix it and they have a solution they have a they, they put action behind it to get it done and i think the other common thing that i see in great coaches because you're right i've been around i've been so blessed because for four or five years i also worked college football for espn mm. so i was in uh meetings the day before a game with our production crew and set with Bob Stoops at Oklahoma with, with, with uh, Nick Saban when he was at LSU. So I, I, I've been around from, from coach K to Roy Williams to keep on going down the line, Calipari. There's not a, there's not a basketball coach in the last 20 years. I haven't had a conversation with. And I think one of the other things that stands out to me about the ones that are exceptional is they're always learning. Like they're always asking questions. They're always wanting to get better. They're driven in that area of their life and their ego doesn't keep them from asking questions and wanting to learn. Uh, I, I, for, for instance, uh, Calipari is a, is a, 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 a good, a, a good friend of mine in terms of a good relationship between a yeah. coach and an analyst. I can think of a handful of times over the last 10 years, he's been at Kentucky 10 or 11 years that after a game, we would talk and he'd say, what, what did you think? What did you see? You know? And that's not just with him. That's with, with, that's a, that's with a, a, a lot of coaches. Like, I think that's really phenomenal that guys get to that level that are, uh, that are hall of fame level with the biggest jobs in the country. They're always trying to improve, that's always good. trying to get better. That's well, there's a lot, there's so much good stuff in that right there. There really is. And it's amazing when you meet them, you know, quickly, that they're different, don't you? I mean, you meet a lot, all kinds of coaches, but the great ones that that see the problem, and I've never heard anybody say this, and that's very good, see the problem, fix the problem. You pick, a, how quickly as an analyst, and having been around it for so long, can you pick up, okay, this guy's different. He's not just saying it. I think there's, I, I heard a guy at Chick-fil-A say this years ago about a gentleman that worked there. There's a lot more in the uh, warehouse than there is in the showroom. You know, there's a, there's a lot behind the scenes. How quickly can you pick up on that with leaders and coaches? You know, it's interesting. Um, as many as many practices that I've watched over 24 years now with ESPN as an analyst, I've watched thousands, literally, Mike, thousands and thousands of practices. Mm. And my eyes and my ears now have been trained that within the first 10 or 15 minutes of any practice that I walk in, I can pretty much tell you what's going on with that, with the culture of that team, That's good. The, the, the personality, the, 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 who they are. And of course that starts with the head coach. That's right. Because to me, there's in any practice I walk into, it should sound a certain way. It should look a certain way. It should feel a certain way. And that all just jumps out at someone like, myself that's that's been around it and, and lives in the weeds of college basketball it just jumps out mm. and yeah I, I i get to feel exactly what's going on within this program and it starts with that leadership so um that that to me is you know it's 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 the action it's the action that's going on and how it feels and how it looks same way with any any church out there any organization any law office you know it, within the first 10 or 15 minutes you stick your head in the door, you should get a pretty good vibe of what's going on here. The respect they have for one another, the love they have for one another, the gratitude they have, mm -hmm. the thankfulness they have, all those things should just jump out 
and and they do in those great programs. Every coach at every level, whether it's high school, we got a lot of high school coaches listening, a lot of college coaches listening. Everybody watches film. Now in the baseball world, they may be watching hitters, maybe watching pitchers, getting getting sequencing down in the in the college basketball world, in the college football world, high school football world. Man, you watch film all the time. What's the purpose for those that aren't big sports people? And there are not many that listen to this podcast that aren't sports <laughs> people because they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. For those that aren't, what is the importance? What is a coach looking for when they watch film? And we always hear, man, they're in the film room. They're always watching film. What is a coach looking for when they watch film? Yeah, they're looking to see the, the good and the bad. Mm. Like they're looking to see what needs corrected and, and where are we where are we doing well? And uh, well, just think, just think back how many times you've heard a coach interviewed right after a game and at some point him him say i'll have a better feel for that after i break down the film tomorrow morning that's right like man that's where the, that's where the truth is really stated is on that film mm. there, there's, there's not a coach in the country this i would almost bet my truck and i'm looking at my driveway right now <laughs> there's not the, uh, any coach listening to this right now at some point hasn't said or thought the simple words, the film doesn't lie. I mean, he's probably told that to his team at some point because players have a way of answering questions within the game or at halftime or in the locker room saying, coach, I, I did box off. Coach, I did, I did sprint from home to first base. Coach, I did. Okay, okay. The film doesn't lie. We're going to watch it tomorrow. And you tell me if you were sprinting from home to first base. You tell me if you were sprinting from one end of the floor to the other. You, you tell me about our, your coverage as a defender in football. And, and that's, that's where the true, mm. to me as a former coach and, and living in it like I am, that's when coaches, the true evaluation, Mike, really takes place. Like even as a coach, you can be fooled with your own eyes watching your team play live and you win by 20 points and you think, man, we, 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 we were rolling tonight. We played well. Go home, go to sleep come back the next morning at 6.30, put the film in, and by 7.30, you are a, you're, you're a hacked-off hornet, man, because you realize we, we won the game by 20, yep. but, man, I see all the problems. If we don't get them fixed, we'll get our tails beat by 20 by the next opponent. And that's the that, that's kind of the value of film. And there's boy, every coach out there that if, they, if, you, if, if you probably ask them the one thing that you cannot live without as a coach, they'd say, watching film. Mm. Your new book, The Film Doesn't Lie, makes us look at film a little differently. Your mm -hmm. viewpoint in this book isn't looking at the film of the sport that we coach. It's the film of the life that we live. Why are we so hesitant to pull out the mirror and look at the film of our own lives sometimes? Because it's hard. Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard. And, and like I said in the book, hard stops most people mm, mm. it just stops most people in, in any area of life it gets hard most people tag out they tap out it, it, it gets hard and when you really take the time to as i talked about in that book to pause get your heart quiet before god and really evaluate your game film in some key areas there can be some tough moments there was for me as i wrote it 
I mean, when God called me to write this book, he not only was I writing about forgiveness and obedience and, and different topics I worked through uh, to try to help others, God was teaching my heart along the way as I wrote. And there were some tough times for me to have to stop and pause and say, man, where am I right now? With this word forgiveness that I'm, that I'm teaching others about, what unforgiveness do I have in my own heart right now? And so, but again, that's when real growth and real change and true, true evaluation really takes place. That's right. Just like for a team, you know, or just like for a coach or a player, when a coach and a player sit down and watch a film together, there's, there's some hard moments when the, when the film is paused and the coach says, tell me what you were thinking right here. Tell me why you did this. And those truthful answers and that player being, a, being, uh, open-hearted and having a clear heart and saying, you know, the, the co- coach, I don't know, or coach, I, I, you're, you're right. I, I, I didn't give my best effort here. That's when true growth and change occurs. And it's the same way with our personal life, man. It's, it, it can be a tough time, but on the back end, the fruit of that and the growth of that and uh, a deeper, more authentic walk with God that comes through that is, is, is far beyond the tough part of working through it. Do you think that's what David was talking about when he said, search me, God, search me, search me, my inmost being. Do you think that's what David was getting at of God shine the spotlight? Let me, let me see the film of what you see of our life of my life. Yeah. I wish I would have used that analogy in my book (laughs) (laughs) because that's, I think that's exactly where his heart was. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, Reading a book like mine, uh, I, I think you have to read it with a heart that's open and not closed or callous. And you say, God, just please speak to me. Speak to me as I read this book and and search my heart and show me where I am in some of these areas. Uh, if, there, if there's 10 chapters in my book, I think there's 10 or 11 and then 10 or 11 different topics I talk about. Maybe it's not going to. Maybe maybe not everyone's going to be impacted by every single chapter. But there's certainly one or two things in there that That's throughout right. the process, I think God will say, "I'm searching your heart. I want you to look at this, Mike. I want you to look at this, Jimmy. Like where where are you when it when we're trying to align it with what I say about this in my written in my written word? Um, so our like uh, our our word choice." The words we use every day. I'll give you this example. It's, 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 it's in the book, Mike. I'm I'm so concerned and dialed in the two hours that I'm on national TV. I'm so protective and so cautious of the words that I use because I know the wrong word, the wrong use of a word can, can really bring harm to me as an analyst and in my career. Uh, I also know that I'm going to irritate a fan base every time I'm on the air. The team that loses, a portion of their fan base is going to blame me as he <laughs> I, I know that and I get that, but I st- so I still have to go into a game speaking truth of what I see. That's what I get paid to do. But I'm so protective of those two hours of my words. In my book, I write about why am I not that concerned with my words the other 22 hours of the day? Because I can have an undisciplined tongue the other 22 hours a day around my wife, around my daughter, around friends. So, uh, but that's what looking at my film showed me. It, it really jumped out at me that, that my, the, the lack of discipline with my tongue at times, not all the time, 
at times was revealed to me when I really stopped and said, God, God, show me about my words right now. What, what do you see? Search my heart and show me. And that's where I had a lot of growth as I wrote this book. You know, you, you shared a verse in there, Psalm 141.3, set a guard over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. That is the prayer I pray every Sunday before I get up and speak. It was so funny. I've never heard anybody else say that before. And when I read that in there, I thought that is that is the prayer that I pray every Sunday for God to put a door over my lips because things pop in your head that just you just don't want to come out your lips. And, and, yeah. and being able to control those words, as you began to look at that film and you look back on coaching and you look back on the spoken word during your time as an assistant coach and your time as a head coach, what are some things you wish you'd have done different with your words? Uh, probably spoken more out of love. Mm. You know, I, mean, I, I came from a coaching background with, with, uh, even my high school coach, but certainly with, with coach Sutton, man, it was, it was toughness. It was all about toughness and, and, uh, all, all the things that go with, within that word. And, and certainly never, you know, coach Sutton wasn't someone that, that, that cursed us. And I was never like that either as an, as a, as a coach. But, uh, I, I think that word love, you know, is, is so impactful and so important, uh, in every area of life. And for some coaches, that word love doesn't equate with toughness and getting your team tough and hardened and competitive and all those things at all. Um, and I think there's great value in understanding that word at a deeper level than I did when I was coaching. Uh, I see coaches struggling with that right now. And I've got some really good one-on-one -on -one relationship with college basketball coaches, very similar to what you do. And I see them struggling with how do I incorporate love into my coaching mentality, but, but in a way that we stay on that edge of fighting and tough all the time. It's a, it's a gentle balance that you have to have that, that I wish I would have had a better understanding of. Who has done that? Well, who is somebody you've seen out in the coaching profession that you say, I know they're not perfect. And we, and we know when, when the locker room doors close, Nobody's perfect. We, we get that. Jesus isn't coaching basketball or football or baseball perfectly. Everybody has their, has their moments. Who is somebody, though, doing that well that you've seen? I would say Rick Barnes at Tennessee. Mm. Um, you know, his life was really changed 10 or 12 years ago with a, with a conversation with his daughter about where he was and where he had got in his life at the time. And it was a, it was a very tough conversation. I remember Rick telling me between his daughter who at the time was at home, I believe she was a teenager. He was coaching at Texas at the time and, and she put it on him one morning and, and really challenged where he was with his spiritual walk, uh, where he was, where he was in terms of what he emphasized in his life, what was most important to him. And God really did a work in his life. And I see that now. I do so many games in the SEC, and I'm close to a lot of those coaches in that league. Uh, but I've, I've personally seen that that love uh, behind closed doors, that the the sharing of of God's written word, uh, how it's in, how it's incorporated within who they are. Uh, but at the same time, there's not a tougher coach out there than Rick Barnes in terms of how he is on his players. But he does it 
in the right way, and he and he does it with a with a strong, tough love that those players get. I, I say that I, I I use him as example, but there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, he's the one that came to mind uh, because I've I've been behind closed doors uh, with Rick, and I I see uh, what the name of Jesus has done in his heart and how it's changed him as a man. Mm, that's really good. You know, you told a great story, too, in that chapter. I thought it was so good on uh, Coach K and the belief system that he has given his Duke players that though they may be down, they're never out. Do you mind sharing that story? That was a powerful visual of the power of the spoken word. Yeah, it was a couple of seasons ago. It ended up being one of the great basketball games in college during that year that Duke was down, I'm pretty sure they were down 21 points with just over nine minutes to go on the road at Louisville. Mm-hmm. Louisville was ranked 15th in the country. And Duke came back and won the game in, in regulation. It didn't even go into overtime. They won the game in regulation. And the morning of that game at, at Duke's game day shoot-around, Coach K and I and Reese Davis got into a conversation with Coach, uh, and he started talking about leadership. And, and what a leader looks like during the course of a game or during the course of a battle. And he said, man, guarding your words as a leader is so important. And he went on to admit that he's a, he's a Hall of Fame coach and as good of a coach as this game's ever had. I remember him telling me that there are times within the game that he's not sure what he should tell his team. And that wow. kind of took me back a little bit. Like you think that he would always know exactly yeah. what's next. What would he do next? And he said, so I asked him, so what, what, what do you do during those times? He said, I just say positive, generic, general statements until I can figure out what I really need to be telling them. But I stay positive, I stay encouraging. And man, what a great lesson that was that morning at 11 a.m. And then I watched it play out at nine o'clock that night on national TV because when they were down 21 talking to players afterwards, they said, our huddles were always positive and coach kept saying, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to win this game. And then they finally figured out, they started pressing and change the game and all that. But uh, man, the power of our spoken words in terms of, does it align with, first of all, who God says I am? That's right. And is it truthful? Is it necessary? All those things. It's not just the words that I think we say about others and, and, and gossip and all those things that come in, but Man, the words we're saying about ourselves, and the words we're saying are, do they align with who God says we are? I think we all fight for that. We all struggle with that. And, you know, who you are is never going to be found on social media or by what others say about you. It's found by what God says about you. And God says you're a child of God, you are loved, and you are valuable. And our words, our words should, uh, should, should align with that. Mm. You know, you, you think about what James said and when he said the power of life and death is in the tongue, and it really is. Yeah. I mean, you've been married, you've been married now, you've watched your parents' marriage for all these years, and you and you're a parent. And and so easily we can speak death or life. And we get that choice every day. And what you know, when you're in the heat of the battle with players, with referees, with umpires, it is so easy to lose to lose the importance of what we're about to say. You do such a great job in the book, Coach, of breaking this down. And and I really want to encourage the listeners saying we're going to have links in our show notes. 
This is a must read for every leader because we are trained in leadership to look at everybody else's film. That's what we do. That's our team. Those are our people. That's my organization. We're not as good pulling out the mirror and looking at our own lives. And, and on, the cho- on the topic of forgiveness, I want to I settle in on that for a second. You used a quote at the beginning of the chapter, hate. It's caused a lot of problems in this world, but it's not solved one yet by Maya Angelou. Why, why is forgiveness something that hits everybody? Everybody at every level of life has to wrestle with this topic of forgiveness. Why did you choose that as one of your film sessions in the book? Yeah, well, because I think, like you said, every, everyone has dealt with it or everyone needs to deal with it because it's impossible to go through life uh, and not be hurt by others, mm-hmm. intentionally or unintentionally. Okay, so we all have had an opportunity to let bitterness, anger, resentment, and unforgiveness grow in our heart. Now, now some people have had some horrible, tragic things happen to them uh, when they were young that they had no control over, that I know they have some deep-rooted stuff in there uh, that, that needs to be dealt with. But that that is a poison for all of us mm. in our heart to allow unforgiveness uh, to, to continue to subtle and grow and spread. And that's what it does because everything flows from our heart. And man, if unforgiveness is in there towards a situation or towards a person, that is, that is completely outside of God's will for our life. Our entire relationship with our Heavenly Father is based upon that word forgiveness. And, you know, he's, he's very specific in terms of uh, his teachings on forgiveness, what Jesus taught us about forgiveness. So for me, as I wrote that chapter, there's a couple of things that I knew in my heart that I need to deal with, that I had uh, had harbored unforgiveness and bad feelings towards another person or towards a situation. And as I dealt into that and started peeling back the layers of forgiveness, I was then called to the next level of forgiveness, true forgiveness, which, you know, God teaches us is not only forgiving that person, but starting to pray for that person That's right. and, and, and pray good and pray for blessings on that person. And that does not come natural for anyone. I don't care what anyone says, Mike, that does not come natural for anyone. No. So I, I specifically in one situation, I was just completely honest with God and said, I, I don't want to pray for blessings for this person, but you tell me to. So I'm going to do it out of obedience to begin with and hope that you change my heart as we work through this, that it becomes something that I want to do. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. I looked forward to those times where I was praying for that person and, and really, really asking for God's goodness and God's best for that person's life. But it didn't come natural. It came with, it came with dedication and discipline in my right. life to do that because God had called me to do it. And, I, I, and it was hard, but like I said earlier, hard stops most people. And I don't think you can. I think you gotta, I think you gotta knock that wall down and say, I want to experience true forgiveness in my life and go to the level that God's asked me to go. Have you ever met somebody in life that regretted forgiving somebody? Have you ever read across any coach or any person? Oh. Go, well, man, I forgave this person. I don't know what I was thinking. Or have you ever met a lot of, have you met more people 
that haven't forgiven and waited years to do it and regret it. Yeah. I've never thought of it like that, but I, I've, I can't think of anyone who Mm -hmm. has said, I wish I hadn't forgiven them. Um, but the world's full of people, um, that are, they, they they go to their deathbed, holding on to, to something that it's really sad to see it happen. Um, so it's, you know, that, that, for, for me, it's, it occurred uh, right here where I'm sitting right now in the, in, the, in the quietness of my morning one, one, one morning when God literally just kind of shook me by the shoulders and said, we aren't going to do this. Like my whole relationship with you is based upon forgiveness. And if, if you're going to have unforgiveness towards another person who is one of my own children as well, Jimmy, you're not my only child now. Yeah, I have, a, I have one of them. And if you're gonna if you're gonna hold on to unforgiveness, right. then, then you and I have we have a wall between us. We have a gap between us that 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 I don't want. And he really shook me on that word. And it's it's funny that you it's not funny, but it's interesting you bring that chapter up because that chapter I've had more people reach out to me about that mm-hmm. chapter than anything else. So it tells you and I both as a as a leader in what you do the importance of talking about that word and the harm that it does to us. Well, I appreciate you sharing it. We, we use a little phrase around North starts from an old pastor and, and the, the phrase is that which is most personal is most universal. And I think when you, when you unlock forgiveness and you go, man, listen, it's, it's not something I've heard somebody else has dealt with. I've dealt with it. It makes everybody else finally step up and go, yeah, me too. I, I've, I've walked through that as well. And one of the great things you did in this book, Coach, is, you, is those, those 10 chapters or so that you break out in the film room of life are universal things. You know, you talked about commitment. You talked about, and I, I want to dive in, and in two chapters, you talked about basically adversity and drought. You know, every leader goes through adversity, every leader. I wanted to find out from you, what's been the toughest thing that you've ever walked through that you say, it not only tested my mettle in leadership, but it tested my mettle on, on my faith, on hanging in there. Anything you've walked through that you would say, that was me? Yeah, I, well, I've had, I've had several of them. Um, I mentioned in the book, you know, I remember the morning when, when we were pregnant for the first time and the doctor said, there's no heartbeat. Mm. Now that's tough. There, there was, there was a drought that immediately grabbed you by the throat. I know other people have experienced things like that as well. Um, I, I remember when, uh, after my third year as the head coach at Arkansas and, and I was told uh, we're, we're, I'm not bringing you back and, and, I was blessed to go right back to ESPN, but still when it didn't work out as you want to, as a head coach, uh, that, that was, that, that could have quickly became a drought in my life. And it did, it it did, it it did in some areas. Uh, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful in an odd way. You'll understand this and your listeners will too. Looking back on the drought, I'm thankful for the drought because of what it taught me, uh, the dependency that I had on God during those tough times in my life were literally hour to hour. It was God, I, I'm not sure I can make it through this next hour without you. And those are, those are such valuable, sweet times Mm. that, that we probably don't get enough of in our life. Um, the, 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 the hard is hard, but 
man, the, the, the growth and the dependency, the, the, the sustainability of God's love in our life is really shown at those times. Uh, that's, that's where it was for me. And what I learned from it was the importance of staying grateful and thankful during a drought because the enemy, man, he, he realizes I've got an opportunity here. And if I can continue to, to, to speak untruths and put, uh, you know, unthankfulness inside someone's heart, man, he's going to, he's going to use that opportunity during a drought. And if you just continue to be thankful to God during the hard times, I don't think anything irritates the enemy more than that. When he thinks he has you and you rise up and say, but, but God, I trust you still. I, I don't know of a thing that cripples more leaders in any field, whether it's, it's high school coaching, college coaching, business, parenting, life, marriage, than the word discouragement. When you have walked through discouragement, when you've lost courage, what are some basics? And you talk a lot early in the book about getting back to basics and doing the basic things. What are some of those go-to basics for you that you go, I'm not going to let the enemy win this game. I'm not going to let him whisper in my ear that I'm done and, and lose courage to keep walking. How do you get through discouragement in your own journey? You know, the, the only way I've been able to do it successfully is exactly what Jesus did. And that was speaking the truth, speaking God's promises over my life. That's good. And Michael, there, there was times where uh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I bet I said that 30 times in the course of a day during a stretch in my life. I would put sticky notes up at different places in my office, in my car, on my mirror at my home. Uh, so I just was, was reminded of, of that because the enemy's attacks were so strong and so loud. I had to be very intentional and purposeful in my words, what I was saying, what I was allowing into my, in, in, into my heart. Uh, and then I think also the, the importance of the four or five key voices in my life were so important at that time uh, to have guys around me that were speaking the, the God's truth into my life and, and not accelerating or amplifying the voice of the negative. So uh, that, that's, that's how I learned from it. That's how I grew from it. I was very intentional about the voices I allowed in my ear, and I was very intentional about what I was saying and speaking to the situation. You know, you are in a very high visibility role with ESPN as an analyst and do a phenomenal job, one of the best in the business. But you you don't see that you're created just to be an analyst. You know, I've heard you say on other podcasts and definitely in your book, I mean, you are, you are a basketball guy, but you're really a Christ follower who happens to be a basketball guy. How... How important are the non-negotiables that you have in your life? And you spent a whole chapter talking about this. How important are those non-negotiables for a believer in their journey so that they can finish well and they can finish strong and they can, they can, they can cross the finish line, turn around with no regrets. Yeah. How important are those non-negotiables to you? Uh, well, they're, they're, they're huge in my life because I think if not, 
you're going to run the risk of missing some of God's grace, greatest blessings that he has for you. He gives us the ability to, to make choices. That, that's, that's why there's, there's a, a, a real love between us and our Heavenly Father, not a forced love, because he gives us the choice to love back the love that he's given us. Um, but those non-negotiables, they play out in so many ways, you know. And I, I wrote about Tyler Hansborough, who was a national player of the year at North Carolina uh, and three-time All-American because simply he just had non-negotiables as a player that he wouldn't get away from. And it didn't require extra talent or, or anything like that. It's just he made the decision to be great and not be bored with the basics. Mm. And I, I think that's what great leaders do. They, they understand who they are. They understand the, the, the five or six or ten things that are, uh, that are non-negotiables with them. They may be boring. They may be things like every day I'm going to start my day with 15 minutes with, with the Lord or whatever those things are, but they don't get away from it. And it's so easy in life to get bored with the basics, especially as a leader. And you can't do it. You've got to stay with it. And I think our life, when we look back on it, it's an accumulation of what we did day after day after day after day after day. Not so much the big wows, but who were we day after day after day? And that establishes everything around me, everything around. Me. Like I said, when I, when I go on the road, I, I, can, I, I intentionally put the remote control to the TV in a desk somewhere so I don't even look at it and I'm not even tempted to turn the TV on. Because there's things on that TV I know if I'm flipping around long enough that will grab my eye that shouldn't be grabbing my eye. And I'm on the road to, to work. I'm on the road to, to, to honor God with how I work, honor my wife with how I work, and how I'm on the road. So that's, that's a, a quick non-negotiable that I'm throwing in there for, for your listeners to think about. But I know, that's, that, that I know the importance of it. To answer your question, I, I know the importance of having boundaries and barriers in your life that you stay in between no matter what life throws at you. You know, in the New Testament, it said that David served his purpose and his generation, and then he went to sleep. Then he was done. What do you think was the purpose God created Jimmy Dykes for? When he knit you together in your amazing mother's womb years ago, what do you think was the purpose he created you for? Well, I, th I think to know him, uh, that, that's ultimately what he wants is that relationship with me. I mean, he wants a personal relationship that, that is very special between he and I. And we all have a different path of how God gets us there. Certainly, we make choices along the way that, that can kind of get us off the path. But I think at the end of the day uh, in my life, I was created to know him and to know, and to know the power of the name of Jesus in my life and what was accomplished on the cross and to know that this is not my home. I, I, I sit in my home right now talking to you, but this is not my home. My home is in an, in an eternity uh, in, in God's kingdom. And that's what I was created for. And while I'm here for the short time that I'm here, that's my purpose is to learn that, understand that, grow in that, and hopefully impact others and, and, and help and encourage them to ultimately reach that same goal. I'm here to lead my house. 
my, if you look at my Twitter handle, Coach Jimmy Dykes, my Twitter handle says I'm a husband and a dad. That's who I am. And ESPN College Basketball Analyst is what I do. And, and I think so many people get that turned around, Mike. They, their identity is what they do and not who they are. And that's not a road I want to go down. That's a road that I fight and make sure that I'm not going down, that I keep that proper balance because I, I'm called by God to be a, a dad, a faithful dad, a faithful follower of him, a faithful husband, a faithful dad. I just happen to work for ESPN, which gives me a great platform. It's a really cool job. I hope you enjoyed that time with Coach Dykes. You know the phrase, he gets it, definitely qualifies. He gets it. The book, The Film Doesn't Lie, is one every leader needs to read. Because the reality is, at the end of the day, it's not what we say. It really is what we do. It's not how we frame it. It's how we play it. It's how we do it. And Coach Dykes nailed it. And boy, not only is he one of the best calling the game of basketball, he's just one of the best that's out there. Thank you, Coach, for being our guest and for making us all a little bit better, which is what a great coach always does. Speaking of coaching, we get to come back again with another great coach, Coach Dot. Richardson. Coach Richardson is the ladies softball coach, the women's softball coach at Liberty University, and they are making a statement in women's college softball. But long before she was the head coach at Liberty, she was one of the game's greats, Olympic gold medalist, Pan American winner, NCAA player of the year while she was in college at UCLA, and another great leader whose faith drives them. I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with Coach Richardson. So again today, if you enjoyed our time and you enjoyed and got something out of it, hit pause, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast app, leave a rating or review because it sure does help others find their way to us. Thanks again for joining me today. Go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.